Hello and welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I am Dave Matter, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com, Mizzou beat writer. As always, we are joined by Ben Fredrickson, Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com, sports columnist. We're going to talk, catch up on all things Mizzou football today. We'll save uh, Mizzou basketball for another day, although the Tigers are are celebrating a a pretty nice win um, the night before that we recorded this at Ole Miss, 25-point win, gets Missouri back in uh, two and three in the league and and probably feeling a little bit better about themselves after how the last week went. But we're going to focus on football today, Ben. A lot of changes for Eli Drinkwitz's program over the last couple weeks since uh, since that bowl game down in in Fort Worth. Roster looks a little bit different. Coaching staff looks a little bit different. Uh, We 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 we, I don't think we've recorded this since Georgia won the national championship. So uh, Tigers are still trying to close that gap, obviously, in the SEC East and and not going to get any easier. But we've got a a different looking roster to talk about different looking teams. Spring practices are going to start here pretty soon. I believe the spring game is March 19th. So we're only two months away from that, from the day we're recording this. Um, What do you think so far? I mean, that Tuesday was the first day of classes at Missouri. Uh, so that's the day generally when newcomers are are on campus uh, and, and getting ready to go. And Missouri announced eight transfers that have joined the program, seven of them scholarship guys, one walk on. And then six freshmen who are already on campus, including a certain wide receiver from St. Louis. Um, so you got 14 new players and uh, some new coaches, too. This is uh, this is kind of the new norm in, in college football. Lots of turnover to discuss. The portal giveth and the portal taketh away. I don't know what we're calling the coaching portal. That's just become, this becomes just as uh, chaotic, but it's kind of what we figured we'd make this podcast about, Dave, is we're trying to figure out who's on this team and who's gone. So we figured we might as well just hit record and, and go through it a little bit to get people updated on this roster. I, I, I sent out a joke on, on Twitter the other day. I said, you know, don't forget, always remember everybody, the transfers your team loses were, were overrated and the ones they're bringing in are, are the real deal. And, and I feel like that's what happens. It's, you know, sour grapes can pop up pretty quick for players who decide to leave. And, and there's always excitement and unknown about the new guys. Well, the truth is it's probably going to be a mixed bag. Um, yeah. Some guys who leave will probably be not as, not as good elsewhere as they thought they would be. Some guys who come in will be overhyped, and then some guys will might be overlooked and end up being a pretty important part of the team. Sometimes they might be this both of those in one season. I thought Blaze Aldridge was a good example last season of a transfer who comes in, probably gets too much hype, underperforms, gets benched, fights his way back onto the field, then finish the season on a pretty strong note. So sometimes it can be all at once, but you really want to have, and I think we need to invent this. I on three sports.com, right? The new site that has popped up to cover yeah. recruiting and transfers. They're trying out this, this model and it, this will make some of you roll your eyes, but I can understand why they're trying to do it. That is attempting to evaluate players based off their name, image, and likeness worth their value. They're combining their Twitter followers, their Instagram followers, their social media reach and their ranking and in, in using it to put out a number that says, this could be what this player is worth in NIL deals. Now, some people, many people will roll their eyes at that, but what it encouraged me, we, Dave, should come up with a, a metric, a stat that grades coaches on talent retention and if they're, tra- if they're a plus or minus in the transfer portal. Like in baseball, 
you either plus or minus defensive runs saved. Yeah. So you're either average, which is zero, or you're below, which is a minus, or or on the right side of it, which is a positive. So if you're Nolan Arenado, you're like plus a billion, you know, defensive runs saved at third base, exaggerating. But co coaches need to be graded on this, how they work the transfer portal, if they're losing more talent than they're getting, or if they're coming out ahead after every transfer. So that's really what we're trying to figure out with Eli Drinkwitz. He's going to lose some guys. Every coach is. Is he, is he bringing in players who are just as good or preferably bringing in players who are better, but he can't be bringing in players who are worse. Yeah, absolutely. That's the trick. And, you know, he, he's added a variety, a, a wide mix of players so far through the portal. And we'll, we'll get to it. We can do them one by one. I, th I think also we're going to see another portal bubble after spring practices because guys on, on other teams and maybe Missouri's team are going to realize, Hey, uh, I wasn't playing with the ones as much as I wanted to. Maybe I'm, I'm going to lose this job. Maybe it's time to look elsewhere. So um, we're, I, I, I think it's going to be quiet, maybe somewhat now compared to what it was over the last month or so. But then this is going to perk up again, probably in April, May, June, uh, with more players in the portal where you can, you're going to lose some guys and then you're going to have a chance to replace them. Um, maybe first it's it's best we start with who Missouri lost. Just a recap here. Uh, two quarterbacks, only one of whom was playing quarterback, Connor Bazelak, who goes to Indiana. And I think he's got a great shot at being the starter there. I mean, what, people may have just kind of rolled their eyes at that when he committed to Indiana. But let's not forget, just a year ago when the Big Ten had that shortened season, Indiana was kind of the, one of the hotter teams in the country. They beat Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan uh, were really competitive with Ohio State. They had things rolling there. So um, they've, they've gone through some coaching changes on the offensive side. Head coach is still there, but they've, they've lost some coordinators and quarterback coaches. But I, I think Connor's a good fit there. Um, we'll see how he does, but I think he's got a great shot to win that job. And then Missouri's other quarterback on the move is Sean Robinson, who is did not end his career as a quarterback, moved to safety, Played pretty well uh, for Missouri after making that switch. I think he missed five games with an injury, came back and played in the bowl game with one arm pretty much. But he is going to Kansas State. Interestingly enough, Missouri plays at Kansas State this year. He came from TCU. Kansas State also plays TCU this fall, so he's going to get a chance to see both of his former teams. Uh, he was a guy, a good, good locker room guy. I think everybody really widely respected him, but it seemed like Missouri sort of recruited over him a little bit in adding one of their transfers. Uh, the big one was Makai Wingo, defensive tackle, all SEC uh, freshman team from DeSmet High School, really promising first year, was a starter by the end of the year. He played more snaps than any D tackle on the team. He was, he was the surprise, goes in the portal, not a surprise where he ends up. He commits to LSU where he's reunited with his high school coach, Robert Steeples, new DBs coach under Brian Kelly uh, down there in Baton Rouge. So that one stings a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know if you're going to – it's hard to find a young player that talented from the St. Louis area that adds, you know, some sizzle to your roster like like he would. Um, but they did go out and find a, a D tackle that I think can maybe even be a better player than, than Makai, at least for this year. And then you lose a couple of tight ends, Daniel Parker Jr., Messiah Swinson. That is really kind of a void – uh, right now that position on Missouri's roster we'll see what what they do there and then a couple more defensive backs some corners um, you know guys that again were kind of recruited over but that's another position where they need to 
they need to add some bodies or at least develop some young guys pretty quickly. The ones that, that jump out are the, the Basilak and Wingo, obviously. Yeah. And we got to believe that Connor knew he was transferring, knew he was leaving when the bowl game came around. Yeah. I mean, when, when he announced that he was leaving, it was that he had been talking with the staff about this for weeks. That was his statement. And it's really hard for me to believe the reason he's left is because Eli um, started Cook in the bowl game. I think he probably started Cook because he knew um, Connor was transferring. Right. Um, and that's the one that it didn't seem to cause much of a splash at the moment because once Cook started in the bowl game, anybody who was followed college football during the transfer era knew, oh, Bazelak's transferring. Right. Um, but that's the one that could – Week five of next next season, there's probably a I would say a bigger chance you're missing Connor Bazelak more than Makai Wingo because of the uncertainty right now at the quarterback spot for Mizzou. So that's totally going to be judged as okay. Bazelak started a lot of games for this team, didn't play all that well last year, was hurt a lot of it. Um, but but could he have been better if healthy if if he stuck around versus what Missouri has left? And that gets us into that conversation that we'll have under the newcoming guys is what is Eli's plan? Does he have one? Does he want to have a plan for maybe adding a quarterback? Um, if it's not too late, maybe adding one, is it too late to add one in the spring? If somebody of note tries to, to move around, that's a, that's a dicey spot to be in for right. a quarterback situation. That's still pretty unsettled with the Wingo thing. It's tough because if it was any other situation, you would say that's unequivocally, absolutely the kind of player you can't lose because he's good, he's young, he's going to be a part of this team moving forward. He had a leadership role coming. He is from a recruiting rich area. But when a guy just wants to go play for his old high school coach, then I don't I don't know I mean, what you're supposed to, to do to combat that. I guess have right. a better better relationship with him than, your high, than his high school coach. That's hard to do after one season. So um, that's tough. And, and it was a big loss for them. But I, I have a hard time saying, well, that's, that's a huge – huge flaw in, in Eli's game plan because I think he had pretty much given Wingo everything he could have wanted opportunity leadership. Um, they were all singing his praises entering the off season. So sometimes you just want to go reunite with somebody from your past. And it's hard to combat that as, as Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah. And I know Makai and I've, I've touched base with him since he made this decision. I, I haven't formally interviewed him. He has made some comments about instability Um you know, on the staff somewhat, you know, that Rick Haley was the D-line coach when he was first recruited. And then they switched to Jethro Franklin and then switched to Al Davis. And then now they've added Kevin Peoples, who's <laughs> going to coach the edge rushers. So, you know, Missouri's gone through a lot of defensive line coaches, but I, I do think, and maybe that is the extreme as, as many as they've gone through. And I, I was talking to Craig Kuligowski last week for one of the Pinkle stories, Missouri's longtime D-line coach. And I made the point to him, even though I'm sure he's fully aware of it, he's been gone six years and Missouri has hired six D-line coaches since then. But, you know, I, I think it is a bit naive to think just going somewhere else is you're not going to experience some instability. And if you plan on playing in the NFL, get ready. You're going to deal with that all the time. And it's, it's really out of your hands. Absolutely. At that point. So, um, but you know, it, he, he's uh Makai has a, a relationship obviously with, with coach steeples. And um, you know, it's not like he's going to a bad program or going to play for a bad head coach. I think Brian Kelly's going to have that thing up and running pretty quickly. So, uh, so Missouri will move on. And that, if you want to touch on who they've added, let's start a D tackle. They added a proven guy from frankly, a better defense than Missouri's and, and Jaden Jernigan comes over from Oklahoma state's got a couple of years of eligibility 
He was in the rotation. Um, I don't think he started, but he was the first D tackle off the bench. And that's a position group where you can, you can uh, move guys around and, and rotate all the time, which he did on a really good defense. And, uh, you know, I, I think that is a, a really important get for Missouri because you lose Kobe Whiteside, you lose Akeel Byers, now you lose Makai Wingo. But Jernigan's going to have a chance to step right in and start alongside Darius Robinson. And, and I think – I don't know if they're going to be better than they would have been with Wingo, but I don't think you're, you're any worse. And maybe you are a little bit better. He's a, he's a good-looking prospect to add from a, from a power five really good defense at Oklahoma state. So I think that's a really good get at safety. They add Clemson's uh, Joseph Charleston, a guy who was a, a starter at Clemson, not this past year, he had an injury, but he was starting at Clemson uh, at, at one point in his career. And, you know, you lose Sean Robinson, but you bring back Martez Manuel, you bring back JC Carlisle. Now you add Charleston. Uh, that's a pretty good group right there. So I think you're pretty happy with the upgrade there. Um, they added a, a center from Buffalo. Missouri needs a center. You lost. Come on, Mike, Mike Maietti doesn't have an 18th year of eligibility. <laughs> no, he is. He's, he's moving on to the, uh, to the next stage of his life, probably collecting social security pretty soon. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you need a center and uh, Bent Polgar is his name. He comes from uh, Buffalo, which is a good program started there last year. Um, and, and then, who else? We get, get a freshman from freshman cornerback from Texas A&M. Missouri needs depth there, no doubt. They get uh, they get another Mayetti type, a seventh year senior linebacker, defensive end from uh, North Carolina, Tyrone Hopper. Great last name. Maybe he can play basketball. Uh, that's a spot where they can they can use depth for sure. Uh, who else? Stanford running back Nathaniel Pete, Columbia kid. Anybody that's you know cover uh, aware of high school football in the middle of Missouri here where I live knows Nathaniel Pete's name was Stanford's leading rusher last year, led all players in the PAC 12 and in, in kickoff return yardage. He had the best kickoff return yardage average better than any Missouri kickoff return guy since Marcus Murphy, who was pretty good from what I remember. <laughs> so that's a, 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 a nice pickup there at a, another position of need. You lose Tyler Beatty at running back and you've got, a bunch of guys who aren't exactly proven. Uh, so good pickup there. So I think Eli's done a nice job in the portal. Um, you know, maybe getting a little higher caliber of player than he did a year ago when he got, you know, some good mid-major players, but, you know, didn't go out and get any of those, you know, big blockbuster guys on the move. Yeah. Some of the programs he's pulling from are, are more encouraging than what we saw last year. And that's a good sign. It means he's identifying Players, it means the players that he's identifying are more interested in listening. Um, but when you're pulling from North Carolina, Stanford, Oklahoma State, there's probably a higher chance of success rate than, than transfer up guys, um, you know, transfer transfer lateral guys. And there are a lot of them. Um, yeah. Are a little more experienced with the kind of football, the level of football they're going to be, they're going to be playing. So it, it looks like uh, that's a, on paper, that's a, those aren't those aren't terrible trades, and that's really kind of what they what they are these days are right. trades. And this is an element. This is an element of college football. We're going to have to start figuring out ways to analyze, grade, whatever you want to call it, because simply focusing on signing classes, it's not enough anymore. Right. Um, and it's not enough to understand if a team is getting better, better or worse. So um, we'll see how Eli, you know, what what his score is. We need to come up with a name for that transfer. I wanted to ask you specifically about the running backs because 
they've added some guys there. Beatty walks the two guys, you know, the guys they thought might be more of a committee approach push for that last year, got totally, totally ran over by Beatty who became the, the marquee back, but now he's gone. Whether it's a returner or a, a transfer, who do you think is kind of jostled up near the top of the, the running back depth chart? And do you think this could be more of a committee approach or you think Eli's going to say, hey, it's committee until someone runs away with it, then we ride that back? Yeah, I mean, they went into last year, Eli used the word committee, and then he did the absolute opposite of that, and it was all Tyler Beatty. I think he accounted for something like 80% of the carries at the running back position, and deservedly so. He was, you know, the most prolific back in the SEC. Um, but now the the result of that is your guys don't have a lot of game experience. Now, Elijah Young has some. They used him more at the beginning of the year, and then they used him in the bowl game when when um, when Beatty didn't play, you know, you lose Dawson Downing, who had a, a lot of carries. Um, Michael Cox was a guy they kept talking about wanting to play more. He gave him some. They should play him more. They should. He got. He scored a couple of touchdowns in short yarded situations, but again, um, seemed like a little reluctant to give him more carries. Now he's got a, a chance, but he's going to have to compete with Nathaniel Pete, no doubt. B.J. Harris, true freshman from last year, got a few carries, not much. Taj Butts, the freshman from Desmet. Don't think he got any carries last year. And then you add Tavares Jones, a four-star freshman from El Paso, but he's not one of the guys that will be on campus for spring football. So uh, he'll be a little bit behind the others. So I don't know. I, I will believe that Eli has a committee approach when I see it because, you know, in 2020 it was all Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty got a few scraps. Last year it was all Tyler Beatty and Elijah Young, Michael Cox got a few scraps. So he seems to – once he gets in the heat of the game, he seems to stick with his guy. Does he have a uh, – what was the term that Tyler used, a bell cow – bell horse? Does he have a bell horse on this team? I don't know, yeah, but we, did, we didn't know if Tyler Beatty was one. So Yeah, a bell, a bell horse help. is when uh, it's with the, you have a bell cow and a workhorse. That's right. It's kind of like when you see those zebra horse combinations at the petting zoo once in a while. That's a, that's a bell horse. Tyler, Tyler Beatty actually has copyrights on that uh, phrase and he should get shirts made. I would say maybe for his appearance in the uh, senior bowl that is coming. So that's going to be an interesting one for Mizzou fans. They, they love Tyler Beatty and they watched him put the team on his shoulders and carry them this season. And everybody wants to see Tyler Beatty do well. If you've talked to him, he's a great kid, but it is maybe it perhaps more than anything, a snapshot of where college football is today that a player who opts out of the bowl game, in what became a close loss for the Tigers. Eli Drinkwood said he encouraged that decision. That might have been as much uh, campaigning for, for recruiting as anything about having a player's best interest in mind. Who knows what, what really what happened there. But now Tyler Beatty was also going to play in the Senior Bowl. Right, so, right. Outside of the bowl game, plays in the Senior Bowl. I guess more bang for your buck in the Senior Bowl with all those NFL coaches and scouts in attendance. Right. But uh, that's an interesting uh, approach. We'll probably see it more more often here. Yeah, I, th- I think we're uh, – I don't want to give away too much, but I think we're going to have Tyler on the podcast here soon, um, and he can talk a lot about some things that he hasn't really talked about yet. But he, he didn't – it sounded like just breaking away from our topic today, but he was he did not expect to get an invited to the Senior Bowl. That came late. So good for him. And those practices are what are really valuable because those are yeah. in-person auditions for NFL coaches and, and GMs. Uh, so best of luck for him at down in Mobile. A couple more notes on the on the portal. There is another running back they added, um, a guy who St. Louis fans may recognize his name. Cody Schrader ran for like 7,000 yards at Lutheran South. 
uh, high school. Uh, then he went on to Truman State, so Division Two. But he led Division Two in rushing last year. Ran for over two thousand yards. Now he's coming in. They announced him as part of their their newcomers yesterday. But he told me a couple of weeks ago that he's coming in as a preferred walk on, not as a scholarship guy, but as a preferred walk on. You know, you'll, Dawson Downing did that. Michael Cox did that. You get a chance to maybe impress and earn a scholarship at some point. So he could be in the mix. And then maybe the strangest portal story that Missouri has right now. Talk about sign of the times. Yes, absolutely. Dylan Spencer, offensive lineman from Mississippi, was part of Eli's first signing class in 2020, got on the field as a true freshman uh, at left guard, two games, started the Florida game. Remember, that was the, uh, the Dan Mullen brawl game. And Spencer was actually one of the guys that got in trouble in that game. He got suspended for Missouri's next game for the first half for being involved in that halftime melee. He ends up not playing the next game because I think he was in COVID protocol. Transfers, goes to the portal right after that game, goes to Jackson State to play for Deion Sanders. Uh, Remember, Jackson State had two seasons. They had the spring 21 season and the fall 21 season. It's it's uncertain if he even saw the field. That Pro Football Focus has him playing 12 snaps there. Jackson State has no record of him playing. You know, kind of forgotten about the guy. And then out of nowhere, he commits to Missouri yesterday and signs as a as a transfer. So a, a double transfer back in the mix. Um, we'll see. It's still kind of unclear if he has to sit out because he already transferred once, but he goes from SEC to Jackson State to SEC. Who says you can't like go home again? Sign of the times, right? Who says right. who says you can't go home again? I think I think Mizzou should make a big deal out of this. I think. I think they should put out a graphic of of uh, Eli, you know, prime timing over Dion, stealing his <laughs> stealing his player. The most talked about recruiter in college football is Dion Sanders. Well, guess who just got his player? Guess yeah. who went? Guess who has a player that went to play for for prime and then said, "No, I want to go back." That's Eli. They should really promote the hell out of that. What? Come on, graphics team. That's that's where we are in the transfer portal these days. You just never know. Uh, I guess you can't you can't go home again. Like you said, you touched on quarterback. Uh, Missouri's not, you know, taking a, a transfer quarterback as yeah. of right now. I don't think they're <laughs> shopping that too heavily. Okay. The fear at quarterback is if you add one, you might lose one. You might lose two because those in-house guys say, ah, if you're really looking around. You don't have any faith in me. Um, what I was told a couple weeks ago was if they were going to look at somebody, it had to be a dude, and a dude in all caps. That is a guy who was a starter on day one, shows up, um, comes from a, uh, a program where he had success, and there's no question he is your quarterback. I don't know if there are any guys out there that are realistic for Missouri to sign at this point who fit that description. There's some, there's some okay players out there that could maybe come in and compete but that's that's not what they're looking for. I think they're going to give, uh, you know, Brady Cook, Tyler Macon, and then Sam Horn every chance to to be that quarterback. Who do you think takes the first snap at spring practice if the quarterback room is what it is today? Well, it's only two guys right now. I guess three if you include Tommy Locke, uh, Drew Locke's younger cousin, who I, I think would be a long shot. But I, I think it's got to be Brady Cook just because he started the bowl game and um, played pretty well. Um you know, I don't think he's going to show up on anybody's Heisman preseason lists, but but I thought he I thought he did enough in that bowl game to earn that right to be the starter. But, um, you know, if you're Eli Drinkwitz, you have to look at Tyler Macon and know what you have in him and give him a fair shot because it's spring ball and you only got two scholarship guys. So 
Uh, yeah, Horn's not even going to be there. May the best man win, and then and then when Sam Horn gets here in the summer, and I I know we wrote about him in the MLB draft, um, but I at this point I think it's really fair to say he will he will be at Missouri this summer. He's already he's not on campus, but you look in the student directory, he's already enrolled. Uh, so he is he's bought in. Um, we don't even know when the MLB draft will be or if there will be one. I mean, he could already be right. on campus for a couple months by the time that thing starts. Uh, so we'll see. It's a really interesting situation. When's the last time, and I apologize for not knowing this, and I, if you don't know it either, that I don't mean to put you on the spot, but when is the last time an SEC team had a quarterback come in as a freshman who didn't, who wasn't there for spring ball? Who came in in the fall and became the, the day one starter? I yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, Drew Locke eventually became Missouri starter after Matty Mock's fiasco in in right. 2015, and Drew was not there for for spring ball. And and not to say he had a great freshman year because he struggled, but he also was not the guy they you know they weren't planning on him playing that year or not starting <laughs> six games, seven games. Uh, no, there, it doesn't happen very often. Um, you know at least you get the guy on campus uh, for a few months. I mean, Bryce Young, you know, he, as good as he was, he still sat behind Mac Jones last year uh, before he took off. Um, but yeah, I mean, freshmen have played and started in the SEC in one game, but, you know, may not, it, that's not your first choice. You usually want to have a guy you're developing and have an assistant for a few years before you just dive in with the, with a guy that young. And, and what Eli can do is leave himself open to see what shenanigans the portal could still produce at quarterback. Yeah. I mean, we just, it's so, we just don't know. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a quarterback feel good about, but also say, Hey, we're not looking, but you know, not looking depends on who's there to look at. Right. <laughs> and that can change. That can change quite drastically. We want to hit a little bit here on the, the staff transactions, Dave. Right. Um, you mentioned Makai Wingo saying part of the reason he was looking around, if you if you believe that, is that he was, you know, kind of tired of playing for a different D-line coach every year. And that's there's been a alarming, I would say alarming amount of turnover on Eli's staff. Some of it's a byproduct of a still relatively new coach. Some of it's a byproduct of the times. I mean, these guys are, you use the word and I've I've stolen it from you, mercenaries. They're yeah, they're looking for the next pay grade, the next job title change, the next hundred thousand dollars and you know this is a philosophy that we're seeing where guys just bounce and it's just kind of cyclical now you prevent that by being a better team by having more money for staff upgrades for for not having a program guys don't want to leave but missouri is not in the luxury of being in that spot but i think it really hasn't been at Missouri like two line coaches and that's how like that's how rapid the turnover has been at mizzou and it's also speaks to how even the college football insiders who are um, you know their job right. is to break every single transaction they're getting confused on where guys are right now. So <clears throat> who's out, who's in, and is it even possible to say whether that's good or bad? I mean, when a guy's there for one year, you don't really know what he did. <laughs> and right. you certainly, when you can't exactly. pick him out of a group of 100 people and you've never talked to him, I don't really know how we're supposed to grade these things. Right, right. So Missouri has lost three assistant coaches from Eli's staff of 10. Um, we're talking about the on-field assistants. You're allowed to have 10 of them, and you can split those duties up however you want. Um, Charlie Harbison, who's still with the program, Coach Cheese, as he's known, he coached in the secondary, coached the safeties. He's going to stay on the staff, but he is going to take a, a lesser role, off, not an on-field coaching role. Uh, he has some family situations in North Carolina that he wanted to tend to. Um, so, you know, 
what they did there is they went out and hired another D-line coach, and that is Kevin Peoples comes over from Indiana. So they're going to have two D-line coaches. They're, they're keeping Al Davis. Al Davis is going to basically coach the tackles, and Peoples will coach the ends. You're going to pay probably around $700,000 to your two D-line coaches to coach four guys. It's one way of looking at it. Um, so interesting there. Peoples is known as a, is a veteran coach, older guy, but has got a pretty good track record, and especially as a recruiter too. So that'll be interesting addition there. Casey Woods, tight ends coach, recruiting coordinator. He left way, it's, I say way back, but it seems like a long time ago. He left in December before the bowl game to be the offensive coordinator at SMU. That's one of those moves that, that's going to happen on this staff. Offensive position coaches are going to move on from Missouri to be coordinators elsewhere because you're not going to be the coordinator at Missouri, or at least you're not going to be the play caller. Uh, you may get a coordinator title, but Eli is going to call the plays. He's going to run the offense. So if you want to move up and be a coordinator and eventually be a head coach, you're probably going to have to move on from Missouri. Uh, so Woods is out. They brought in Jacob Peeler. He was uh, the coordinator at Texas State the last couple of years really made his name as Ole Miss's receivers coach, uh, coached a couple guys that are, that are in the NFL now, uh, A.J. Brown, D.J. Metcalf, um, and has a good reputation nationally as a receivers coach. So he will take on receivers. Bush Hamden, who had been the receivers coach, is now the quarterbacks coach. He had been receivers slash quarterbacks, but Drinkwood's mostly coached the quarterbacks. Uh, Hamden now will work with quarterbacks. That is his natural position. You know, He was a, a quarterback at Boise State coached the position at University of Washington. He was Matt Ryan's position coach with the Atlanta Falcons for a year. So Bush knows quarterbacks. Um, he'll take that role on. So that leaves one more spot. Aaron Fletcher hired a year ago to be cornerbacks coach. He has left. He has gone on to Arizona State with Herm Edwards uh, and oh, whatever, whatever's going on over out there. Um, so Missouri has at one defensive staff opening, presumably for corners, Steve Wilkes, defensive coordinator, does coach in the secondary also. Uh, so you could maybe do some kind of mix and matching. So that's that's where things stand. Also, Eric Link, special teams coordinator, will now coach tight ends as well to take on Casey Woods' spot. So it, it sounds like a lot compared to some programs. It's really not that much. I mean, Alabama seems like Nick Saban's replacing five guys every year. Um, you know, it happens – at a lot of places. It didn't happen at Missouri for 15 years because Gary Pinkle didn't lose his coaches uh, very often. He's actually, he lost fewer assistants now than Eli has in two years, which I think it says two things. It speaks to the stability cohesiveness that Gary had in that era, which is very rare now. And it just speaks to, you know, how things are going in college football. Everybody, there's not a lot of, and not, not to say they don't have loyalty to the head coach or to the program. It's not a knock on them, but People are ready to move. It's just it's it's more in their nature in today's industry uh, to pack up and move because you're for one, your job security starts over at a new place and the money they're paying these assistant coaches is just wild. So uh, this is the sign of the times again. Yeah, they're they're renting, not buying when they uh, yeah. roll into Boone County or any other place they're so keep that in mind and you're right comparing it to what Pinkle had going is an unfair comparison because that was pretty unprecedented even at right. a time where where uh where the landscape looked a lot different everywhere but even even with that his program was known for stability and in, in the coaching ranks so well that covers the welcome the welcome to uh, Mizzou's and the happy trails 
And, uh, you know, now we wait and see. We wait and see if these guys are, are better than the, than the position that they, uh, that they had before they got there. And, and we'll see how some of these guys who transferred out perform, um, you know, and that will be part of how you kind of stack this thing up. Also see how these position groups perform with, with the new coaches. So that was, I think fans needed that, man. I think they needed a kind of a rundown of who's yeah. in, who's out and where do things stand. So hopefully people, people got something out of that. We had two other things that we needed to hit on and one great news and one really sad, but I guess we'll, we'll do the great news first. Coach Pinkle, who we just mentioned, gets that letter for the College Football Hall of Fame. And, and I'll encourage folks who didn't get a chance to read it all. It, it was in the paper, but it was also a lot more online. Dave had multiple stories about Coach Pinkle making the College Football Hall of Fame, talked with a lot of those former coaches who worked with him, who have been mentored by him and have now you know, taken off in careers of their own in part because of him. I would encourage you to go read those stories. This was something that I don't want to say it was overdue day, but it was well-deserved and it, we saw it coming. And we, you know, I wrote a column years ago saying this guy fits the bill of what the college football hall of fame asks for. He belongs in. I'm glad to see that, that it happened. And I also think one thing that has already happened is if, if people, if the way things ended for Gary Pinkle at Missouri caused some to lose sight of the big picture of Gary Pinkle at Missouri, the years since of trying and not being able to get back to his baseline, I think had right made folks have a better appreciation for, for what he had cooking at Mizzou for years. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm the first to admit I'm, I'm very naturally biased here. I, I, I worked with Gary on his book a couple of years ago. I've spent more time with him than anybody I've covered. Um, I, I've I made this joke before, but if you, if you look at every word I've ever written, both at the Post-Dispatch and the paper I was at before, I, I'm guessing the, the surname I've, I've written the most or typed the most has to be Pinkle. I mean, it's, it's, it's just how it is. Um, so again, I, I come from a, I, I'm not coming from an objective place here because I, I hold what he did at Missouri in a really high exalted place. Um, and I, I do think what you said is really true. You look at how hard it has been to win at Missouri since he left underscores what he did and, and how impressive it was. I mean, the, the thing is he had a 10 win season in 2010 that nobody talks about a 10 win season. They beat the number one team in the BCS uh, Oklahoma that year and fell just short of winning 11 games because they, they screwed up the bowl game against Iowa. Nobody talks about that year. They talk about the, the years where they, they went to the conference championship games. That's how good his run was that run from 07 to 14. Um, and, you know, that, that year kind of gets overshadowed because, again, the standard was so high. I, I thought it was really cool that he was so genuinely touched that he was picked to be in the Hall of Fame. He honestly did not expect it, I don't think. I believe him when he said that because I've talked to him. He went on the ballot two years ago with Bob Stoops, and uh, I mentioned to it at the time, and he kind of blew it off because I don't think he thought he'd get in because he didn't win that national championship. And he didn't – at Missouri, he didn't win a conference championship. Um, but when you when you step back and look at his – run over 25 years at two schools winning more games than anybody else did at those two places the heights that he took those two programs that weren't exactly accustomed to winning at a high level um you know speaks for his legacy and uh I, I, he he really wants to have a great time at that uh ceremony in, in december and wants to invite you know all those people that work for him because he and he did he, he deferred to everybody from his staffs, not a lot of them. He doesn't have a lot of assistant coaches in his background because they all stuck with them for so long. So, and I, and I talked to a bunch of those guys last week and they're all so happy for him. 
Um, and you know, they just love playing for him. I, I was talking to one of the assistant coaches. I won't say which one, but he, he broke down in tears on the phone thinking about the time he spent working for Gary at Missouri, because it meant so much to him and his family. All the kids grew up together. Uh, the wives all, you know, developed lifelong friendships and they, they took that program higher than anybody thought. And maybe they didn't appreciate it as much now as they do six years later. It was, it was a really cool to catch up with a lot of those guys. It was, and just hear the fondness they have for their time there together uh, just over the phone in those interviews. Here's my question in the way we talk about the way things have changed. If, if Gary Pinkle starts at Missouri, um, you know, tomorrow and, and we're in, we're in calendar year, 2022 and, and his, his story starts there in a, in a, in a world where the Pinkle, Pinkle before him had not already set the, the expectations. I guess what I'm trying to ask here is this, what does it, does Gary Pinkle in the modern age have a job after that 2004 season? Because that's remember Missouri had Missouri had struggled. He came in four get four wins, five wins, eight. People think okay, it's he's got it going. It's building next year, five wins. And in this day and age, there's probably eighteen you know message boards and right. and, and and fire pinkle campaigns on Twitter. And in Missouri, of course, different climate. Missouri sticks with them. And then at the year after that, things really start really rolling. And, and then all of a sudden down years are few and far between. I just wonder, is there a lesson there? Is that such a dated model now that patience is no longer a thing? Is the money too big and the pressure too big where you basically have to be there in year four or five or you have to be out? Or do you think that there is still a call for maybe if you think you have the right guy, letting him get through some bumps in the road? Yeah, and it's, it's something that he admits, uh, Mike Alden, his AD, uh, who hired him and then who, who also deserves a lot of credit for not firing him, you know, in 04 uh, or, or even again in, in 2012, you know, they, yeah. Missouri could have got cold feet after that first losing season in the sec and been like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be a lot harder than we thought. Maybe this guy isn't fit to take this program to the next level. Now that we're in this big, bad sec. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if he would have been able to survive in, in today's climate um, I know he's happy that he's not mess dealing with the transfer portal on a daily basis. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, not that NIL is a bad thing, but it, it adds headaches to the, to the job for sure. So yeah, it's a great point. And it's something that he's thought about, talked about. And we, we you know, I, I think if you're a Missouri fan, you should say, thank goodness that cooler heads prevailed and they let things play out because as soon as he, you know, came back for 05, 05 was a bumpy year a, a bit, but uh, then Dave Christensen, you know, changes the offense. And like Dave says, like Dave Steckel says, like Gary Pinkle says, the rest is history. Yeah, Mizzou didn't, uh, Mizzou didn't uh, hurt Mizzou. Um, and it became a mammoth career for Gary Pinkle. I had to get that <laughs> one in there. Slip that um, in. Not a good way to transition here, Dave, but I know that you had thoughts on on Brian DeLunis, uh, the Mizzou's pitching coach who yeah. passed away far too early, um, who is a St. Louis guy, has done – Remarkable things for the baseball community here in St. Louis saw, um, you know, really, really strong and moving messages from the Mizzou pitchers he had worked with during his time there. Previously, he had worked his way back. He'd gone and uh, worked out on the uh, 
the West Coast with Seattle, but really kind of left a, a, a massive wake of positive interactions with people in the baseball world and beyond. And there were a lot of people who were saddened, shocked, um, really, really upset about this news, rightfully so. And we're thinking of his family and all the people that he was close with. But, you know, your interactions with him, I know you've covered him and written about him, but just uh, also the reaction to the Mizzou community after losing an important part of its baseball team. Yeah, really tough. Brian DeLunis came back to Mizzou last summer. Uh, they needed a pitching coach. And he's a guy who was on this staff from 07 to 09 as kind of a volunteer assistant, worked really closely with Tony Vitello and Tim Jamison and, and um, developed those pitchers. And then his career just kind of took off from there. He coached at you know, a couple of different high schools in St. Louis. Um, and like you said, he went out and worked in the Mariners organization, was with the Mets organization. And maybe that name doesn't resonate, which is kind of the, even the, a casual baseball fan in St. Louis. But if you, are in the baseball community, you know who Brian DeLunis is. He he ran a, a pitching performance um, clinic that he opened, a company that he started. I mean, he worked with a lot of pitchers from the ground floor up. Tanner Houck, you know, pitches at, at for the Boston Red Sox now, was one of his, you know, early uh, students there. And a guy who was, he was so fired up um, to come back to Mizzou and he, he I, I visited with him last summer and it was, unfortunately it was on the phone. We didn't meet in person, um, but he was so fired up to come back. And, you know, he said he wanted to rebuild the pitching factory that Mizzou had been. And it, it you know, I, I think it, I think it gave some new life to Steve Beezer. Uh, you know, he need, he needed something to, to get this program going again. And they really felt like Brian was, was the key to unlock that. Um, you know, he had added a bunch of pitchers his, his nephew is on the team now, a transfer from Middle Tennessee. Um, you know, he was so excited about this opportunity um, and, and just tragically, you know, he, he had had kidney disease. He, he had a transplant years ago uh, from his brother, his younger brother, Adam. And, you know, he just, he, he got sick and it was kind of sudden. Um, from what I understand, he had been working remotely for a while, but planned on coming back for workouts and their season starts in about three weeks, their games start. And just, just really, really sad. 46 years old, has a, um, a wife and a son and a stepdaughter. And man, it's just, this is, this, it's, it's terrible in any walk of life. Um, our world is sports. And now you got a team that's, that's going out there and has a season to play. And, you know, they're, they lost their, their pitching coach. So, you know, you, we hope for the best for, for Brian's family, number one. And then, you know, for that Mizzou baseball program too. And the tributes, if you have missed them, have been moving, incredible, and it yeah. speaks to it speaks to the way he lived and the amount of the people that he touched in a far too short amount of time. So, um, no good way to wrap up a sad thing, but just that we needed to mention him and and the and the impact that he made, and the fact that we're thinking about him and his family, and and uh, certainly that team too, which is gonna. That's a tough spot to be in as you try to get ready to start your year. Dave, we touched on a lot. We didn't touch on Mizzou hoops, and the reason we didn't do that is because we're going to hit on that for our um, Eye on the Tigers video edition, which will be up later this week at stltoday.com. So if you want some more hoops talk, check that out. It'll be short and sweet, but you'll find it in video form at the Post-Dispatch website, which has a new look to it. They just rolled out the That's new right. and improved STL Today today. So check that out. And uh, – and be sure to find the podcast and the video there. Dave, anything else before we run here, man? 
I think we're good. All right, one last shout out. Tim Hickman retired from Mizzou, was a deputy AD for 32 years. He went back to like the Dan Devine years, I think, as AD. No, just kidding. But um, happy retirement to Tim and uh, and his wife. And I'm, I'm sure he's going to enjoy some, some quiet days without the phone ringing off the hook and have to uh, put out the fires over at Mizzou. So happy retirement to Tim. Talk about the, the stability in the age where there isn't much left in college. Right. What an impressive run. So congrats to Tim. Uh, good stuff man hey Dave good stuff we will do this again uh, next week and folks be sure to check out the podcast and the video and all of our music coverage at stl.com for Dave Matter I'm Ben Fredrickson we'll catch you next time